Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, host and creator of the podcast and SoulfulLiving.com. This is the place people will connect you to their stories, their journeys, and how they've found meaning in their lives. Join us. Let's connect. Connection. So today I am here with Barbara Simmons, and I just have to share how this happened, how Barbara is here on this podcast. I was meeting a friend in Newtown for coffee. And P.S., by the way, I've noticed as I listen that I sound like I'm Sylvester Stallone. On I never realized I had a Philadelphia accent, and, <laughs> and now I'm hearing it. So I just said, we were meeting for coffee. <laughs> I heard it come out of my mouth. <laughs> so we were meeting for coffee, and um, we were just chatting. And the woman, there was a woman sitting alone at the next table, and she heard something that we were saying and she kind of applauded. And so we chatted with her and then she said, oh, I have to introduce you to my friend. And lo and behold, Barbara approached the table and she said, this is my friend, Barbara Simmons. And she was the director of the Peace Center in Bucks County and you just have to know her. So we kind of exchanged pleasantries and talked for a few minutes, the end. And then the next day, a mutual friend, Lisa Beth Weber, who is a talented artist and musician, reached out and said, you know, who would be a great guest on your podcast, and I can introduce you, is Barbara Simmons. <laughs> and I was like, are you stalking me? You know, <laughs> isn't that crazy? Yeah, well, you know, it. it I think Bucks County is known for its light workers, its activists, it's um it's a it seems to be a a hotbed of people who want to create positive social change. So it's sort of like we were bound to be connected at yes. some point with everything that's been going on in Bucks I County. Agree. Across the nation. Um Bucks County seems to be along with that being a hotbed of of social activism, it's also a hotbed of controversy. Yeah. Uh, because you have people who are wanting to uh, create a positive atmosphere for everyone. Then you have people who have their own ideas of keeping kids safe, which are not ideas that I agree with at all. And then you have people that remain silent. Right. And so, um, so we sort of are starting to mirror what's going on in Texas, what's going on in Florida and Pennsylvania seems to be one of those places where the, that we're converging into this, um, fireball of controversy and culture wars, which I don't even like to use that term at all. I, yeah. I really do not like to use that term because 
I think that, you know, when we start calling something a war, everybody starts getting prepared in a way that stops us from having a deeper conversation uh, about our values differences. Very good point. So Barbara, can you share with us what your history has been in leadership in Bucks County? So you were the director of the Peace Center and can you share what that is, first of all, and how you came to be at the helm of it? Yeah, I uh, so I'll tell you a little bit about the Peace Center. It's a nonprofit educational organization that's been working in the region. So not just Bucks County, but Montgomery County, um, Delaware County, um, New Jersey. And it's an organization that's dedicated to peace and justice through programming that helps people understand how do we get to a place where we've got justice and peace. And so there's programs for schools, there's programs for businesses, for communities, for higher ed. And I was really drawn to that work uh, because as an archeologist working in Point Pleasant uh, in Bucks County, I was seeing where um, the site that I was working in this, the sacred Native American site, to me it was sacred because it was my first time actually focused on the Lenape Indians and their culture and understanding their culture, understanding how to, how their, their whole culture was about stepping lightly on the planet. And it seemed to me that the pumping station that was proposed, and that's why we were actually excavating that site, um, there were a lot of activists saying, no, please do not build this pumping station here. This is going to take 100,000 gallons of water a day and pump it up to a nuclear power plant. So I started to meet people who were committed to the environment and committed to peace. And I was really impressed with the age range was from like eight years old to 90. Yeah. Um, and some of them uh, introduced me to uh, some of the Quaker women who were involved in the Peace Center's work. So it was sort of a, a culmination of, you know, doing work that I love, but I was being led to take a more um, advocacy approach, an activist approach to, to stepping more lightly on the earth. And so I discovered the Peace Center in around 1987 and started volunteering there. And then I, I started working there as the assistant to the executive director, who was a young man uh, just out of Oberlin College. And when I really saw the power of the work, I knew that that really was what I was led to do. And wow. I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, it was, it took me to over 300 schools working with thousands of people and really starting to make a difference. And then that started mm. to change. Unfortunately, wow. um, our work doubled in 2016 because people were experiencing, uh, it was as if the veil of civility had been removed. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it, Barbara. 
So 2016 happened and you noticed what specifically? Well, with the, the phone started ringing because of things that started happening, of whether it was a student that had her hijab pulled off of her head or a Jewish woman wearing her star and uh, around her neck, uh, the star David, and someone saying to her, um, now you better start hiding that star of David. Um, I, I mean, it just, the list went on and on and I started keeping track of it. I, I set up a spreadsheet. I said, you know, we need to track these incidences. And I was able to show, um, I, I actually had about 12 pages of this spreadsheet within the first six months. Um, and so I took it to the county commissioners and I said, you know, we are facing a, a big shift in Bucks County, a shift towards intolerance, a shift towards uh, hatred of the other. And so hmm. we knew that, you know, we needed to be helping support the victims that this was happening to. Um, and so there were a lot of people that got involved in trying to stop this, this uh, growing um, rise in nationalism. But, you know, at that time, mm -hmm. if you remember, we had a president that was calling himself a nationalist. Correct. And what is nationalism? Because I think there are people who say, yeah, a nationalist. I like my country. What's wrong with that? Exactly. Nothing wrong with loving your country. I love my country too. But what it started to mean was we are insulating ourselves from others. And if you're not from America, we don't want you. We don't like you. We don't accept you. So we had, we had students who, um, looked Mexican, for example. Yes. Who were getting um, notes in their backpack or getting threatened by the neighbors who on their way to the grocery store. It, 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 it seemed to me that the term nationalism also took on the, the, the people that gravitated to it were white nationalists. That's right. And I think nationalism really is when you love your country to the exclusion and detriment of other people. I really do think that that's specifically what it is. Well, and, and it's, people don't understand that other half of it. it. And it opens the door to fascism. Yes. And so, you know, what I, what I, what we started seeing was you know, not only this veil of civility that was removed. So, you know, people might now be speaking their minds where before they would think, oh, I might get judged for saying this. This yes. They now were speaking it. And as they were speaking it, they were being connected on social media as well. And so um, the, the, far, the fundamentalists grabbed hold of this and so when charlottesville happened 
you know, Jews will not replace us. You had you had a leader of the free world saying, well, there's good people on both sides. Right. So and Charlotte was when um, young people went out and kind of had armed with khaki pants and tiki torches. Um, basically had a march and were against Jewish people and people of color. And it was a whole organized thing. And the scary thing, I think, for those of us watching was the youth, the fact that they were young. For me, that really struck me because I thought I had really believed that a lot of these ideologies were um, going to die, you know, generationally. So when to see that group of young people filled with hatred, mm -hmm. that was scary. It was very scary. And there were, there were that, that kind of growth, you know, mm. was taking place. Now, Pennsylvania, back when I started working towards, um, understanding racism and how we address because racism um is an intolerance of people from another race um an intolerance of african americans but that it anybody who's got that intolerance of african americans also has an intolerance of all the other groups if you're not white and christian you would fit into that right group absolutely that there's like a white heterosexual Christian right. and people will even go as far as to say and you have a single family home and two cars and two kids and a dog and it's it's a whole you know um picture of what people believe it is to be American so back in 1994 uh Pennsylvania was uh fourth in the nation with the highest number of white white nationalists white supremacists really it moved up to third and Pennsylvania. i didn't realize that right and so you know you you were you already had a state that had this movement now albeit they were small but they grew they grew in numbers when 2016 came along in the election of 2016 and so it, it we were we were seeing this shift and so um when you have these these smaller groups that uh house this hatred um on the internet now they're able to reach other people who are you know feeling angry that, uh, about you know because we now had a leader who was creating this uh, these myths and lies about immigrants coming over the border the caravan of immigrants and basically what we were doing was placing planting the seed of fear of the other and so that just has continued to grow but along with that growth comes the movement of people saying this isn't okay this is this is not what we were taught right and so so that's why Pence, uh, Bucks County has has had this convergence of these uh, factions, and it's made it um, a much more of a challenge because 
a lot of schools saw this going on. They saw the murder of George Floyd and the upset of, of so many young people. And a lot of schools said, you know what, we need to start having these conversations about racism. We need to start to have diversity, equity, and inclusion in our curriculum. And I, I was so on board with that happening. But then the fundamentalists came in and said, no, if you teach that, our kids are going to feel uncomfortable. And so they then got, these parents got co-opted by the fundamentalists and, and they're, they're using a playbook written by these very deep conservatives who would like to undo public education. All you need is one parent complaining about something or yeah. two or three parents complaining. And we saw that the schools were shutting down this more, um, I don't, I, I want to choose the right word here, this more um, inclusive thinking, you know, how do we include uh, right. everyone, so everyone feels welcome, parents were complaining about that, and what we saw were superintendents and school boards were um, then bowing to the parents that were complaining, now there's always been complaining parents, and so there's always been a policy in place that says, if you don't feel that your child should be studying this or reading this or doing this, you can opt out. That's always been there. Those parents could yeah. always opt out. But instead, what they chose to do was shut it down for everyone. And so that is, that's a big part of some of the work that I'm doing personally Um because I retired from the Peace Center a couple of years ago. I was watching, you know, the, the police brutality that was happening. I come from a long line of police officers in my family. So I have deep respect for police, but not for the behavior. And so I got involved with an effort that I brought to the Peace Center and the Peace Center is still doing it. Um, it's called Walking While Black, Love is the Answer. And love is an acronym for learn about one another, open your hearts to one another as if you're family, volunteer mm. to be part of the solution and empower others to do the same because we are all connected to one another. And yeah. so I've gotten very involved with, uh, with that effort and so, um, so I've worked alongside the Peace Center uh, as a um, ambassador for Love is the Answer. So the film, the next film is being shown uh, in Bristol Township on April the 25th. And then I'll be following that up with the painting of a mural where we work with the police and the students from Truman High School and community members to create a mural that says love is the answer. And so um, so I, I'm, I'm involved with, again, education. I think education is very much needed. I think um, if we were to sit down at a table with someone who was fearful of transgender and believes that transgenders are sinful people, if we were to sit down at a table and, and tell each other stories, uh, of an experience that we had with transgender, for example, you'd have less 
fear. And if there's less fear, then you can start to work towards acceptance. Might not be right for you personally, but you're less likely to shut it down for everyone else. So I do believe education is a part of it. I believe fear has, has held people in this place, but the harder part is not the fear of say the parents that are up that might be scared. The harder part is when you have a movement by fundamentalists to actually uh, take apart public education. Yeah. So Barbara, where does this activism and this courage, because it takes um, your own education and it takes a lot of courage because yes, there are a lot of people who are, you know, fighting for justice or committed to justice, but there are a ton of people who fervently and almost fanatically believe themselves to be right and seem to, you know, attacking people seems to be one of the tools, one of the weapons. And that, when you talk about the people who are silent, is quite possibly one of the reasons why they are silent. Um, so where does this activism and this courage that you have, is it your childhood? Were you always this kid who, you know, where does it come from? Oh, I was always a quiet kid. Um, I, I think that, you know, my parents brought me up with a sense of right and wrong, not black and white, but right and wrong. So my parents, you know, if, if there was somebody that didn't have a home, my parents actually would bring them in, even if it was very temporary until they could get that person into a home. Um, I, they, I just learned from them doing. And wow. so uh, they weren't out to teach me a lesson. They just were living the kind of life that they wanted uh, to show that they're, that they wanted to have for their own kids. And so I, I also saw where women were not listened to. Uh, I found that out, you know, very early on. Um, women's voices don't hold the kind of um, power that a man's voice holds. So that had me thinking, well, how do I become part of the solution to that? Then I started recognizing that um, women did not have the ability to regulate their own reproductive rights. So I started at a young age at 18 or 19, driving people to New York who needed to end a pregnancy. I wasn't part of any group. I was part of seeing neighbors in tears because they could not afford another pregnancy. And so, you know, when you're, when you're 18 and 19 and you're watching this kind of um, injustice, um, injustice of, you know, recognizing that when you go into the city, why is there, why are there only black people in the city? And I'm living in a, in a town that seems to be only white. What, what is that about? You know, um, and then understanding more about the civil rights movement and saying, why on earth would we stop people from living in our neighborhood or eating in our, in our cafeterias? Or It just made, it didn't make sense. And I will tell you that children 
are very tuned into when an injustice happens. They believe in fairness. And, and it's almost like we we kind of beat the fairness gene out of them because if they believe yeah. in fairness, then you know we have a harder time parenting or har- harder time being a, an educator. And so, yeah. um, so I just, I had to find my ways to make a difference. But, you know, I had kids, I was raising children by the time I was in my twenties, my mom had multiple sclerosis. So I was also seeing uh-huh. where, we were limited as to where we could go. There were there wasn't access to somebody in a wheelchair. I remember taking my kids to see the play Annie uh, in Philadelphia, and there was nowhere f- to take my mother. Like, you know, we we couldn't afford the seats on the floor, so I assumed there was an elevator. There wasn't, you know, things like that. And yes. and so if you're not, if you don't get involved then things aren't going to change because there's a whole, it's almost like our mindset is we don't like change mm-hmm. and, and yeah. change generates conflict and people yeah. want to avoid conflict. Yes. I believe that people think it's like a house of cards. And if you take one card out, the whole house of cards is going to come crumbling down. Yeah. And so there's a fear and, and, um, and even living, you know, how you said not black and black and white, I'm thinking about the extremes, you know, life is kind of gray and ambiguous Mm -hmm. and tricky and complicated. And we evolve all of us. And that for many of us, for whatever reason, I'm not an anthropologist, but it's very, very hard for a large segment of the population, I guess. Well, it's hard because we don't discuss it. And I'll give you an example. I was in an elementary school in Yardley and I was with a second grade class and there had been some issues because this particular school was busing in children from a community, a mainly community of color into this very white school. And the principal and guidance counselor said, you know, we're having some issues. We're having some issues with the parents. We're having some issues with the kids. So we do, a, the Peace Center uh, was doing a program on uh, respecting differences. And we were doing this activity where you step into the circle. Uh, so you have all the children standing in a circle. You step into the circle uh, we ask some questions and if it relates to them, then they step into the circle. And this, um, there was a question about, you know, have you ever experienced not being liked because of the color of your skin? And so the, the few kids of color that were in that particular classroom, of course, stepped into the circle. And what I loved was the response of the children who were white. And they had no idea that these children felt the way they were feeling because it, it, they said how sad it made them. Um, wow. it, they had no idea that they were being treated differently. Um, it was like an eye opener. And so it allowed us to have a conversation about that. This is what is needed if we're going to understand one another better 
and and to stop that kind of conversation in a classroom is only going to make the problem of intolerance grow right and and i sometimes think people hate to be wrong they hate to think of themselves as bad or you know not intelligent and i think it takes a willingness to say something that you might be wrong you might it might not be your most evolved you know statement you know if you talked to me um when I was graduating at 17, I'm sure I'm going to tell you a whole slew of different ideas of the world that I have at this age. And hopefully that will keep happening. So I do also think, and I think that requires people even on the side of what's termed social justice to be merciful as we have that in discussion also, you know, um, well, the, the, you know, what you're bringing up, Amanda, is is important because the way I, I view this is if you are more capable of having that higher conversation that includes mercy, then you're responsible for having that conversation. And so restorative justice is is something that's dear to my heart. So um you know, I, I will say that our traditional way of dealing with a, a wrong has been to shame the other person. Yes. And that never works. Exactly. It might work on a few people, uh, but not on the majority. The majority of people, shame is such a toxic emotion that you are ready to get rid of it at whatever cost. Mm, that's a good point, Barbara. And so with restorative justice, you have a wrong that happens. You bring together the person who's been wronged, person that's been harmed, the person who did the harm, and you bring along their support system, you know, so it might be their families. And the victim gets to talk about what, how that has impacted them. The person who did the harm, nine times out of 10, didn't understand how it impacted that person. And then the victim gets to talk about what they need from that other person. And it never, it's never a, a comment like, I need them to, to die or I need them to go, I, to go to jail. It's usually they people want to be able to forgive, not carry that burden. Um, they just, they want an, uh, they want a sincere apology. They mm -hmm. want some kind of restitution. Um, that's what they're looking for. And so because, uh, you know, social activists have a, seem to have a handle on the harm that's being caused to the victims. The, the person who's doing the harm is acting out if they're acting out of their fear or the group that they've they've sort of the tribe that they've aligned themselves with is is getting them juiced up to to have this fight um they don't they truly don't seem to want to accept the harm mm -hmm. 
that it's causing. And so how do we get them to be able to accept the harm that it's causing? I've gone to some school board meetings where students were brave enough to speak up about how this impacts them. And I've watched audience members actually make negative comments as the student walks by. And they're adults. And, yeah, they're the adults. It's shocking. It's shocking because you know what? Go after someone your own age. Yeah. You don't go after the child. We have, to, we have to leave our kids out of this conflict. Yeah. Yeah. What you've been through so much, you know, through all of these um, interactions and, you know, the elevation of kind of a, a hateful environment. Barbara, how do you keep that fire? How that I see it's evident. How do you nurture that? How do you tend to that? Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever feel like, you know what, forget it? How does that work? I will sometimes get discouraged, but I also know that I don't have a choice. I could move to Canada. I could move to New Zealand uh, and retire, you know, not worry about things, live on the beach or something. Um, but as long as I am, as long as I've got grandkids in the, in the school districts or my neighbor's kids, my, my nieces or nephews, um, I feel like, you know, if I love my, my country, I want to also be able to say, what can I do to be part of the solution? And so if I get discouraged, I go to my garden or I walk with a friend or I watch something funny on TV or go to a movie or go and, and um, take a walk on the canal and meditate. But, you know, filling your bucket with the kinds of things that bring you joy can keep you doing the harder stuff. We're not meant to suffer along with the, the people being harmed. We're meant to be here to be their voice. And I want to be able to be their voice uh, until their voices is be heard. Yeah. And so, nice. um, you know, I, I traveled to India with um, the International Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers um, years ago, probably about 11 years ago. These are women that come from uh, Africa, South America, Mexico, uh, Tibet, uh, they, wherever they came from, they were up against um, intolerance, misogyny, patriarchy, um, the capitalists, because what they're trying to do is uh, heal the, the planet, heal the earth. And we were in this country, uh, India is both the am most amazing country and it's also the saddest uh, because there's such a poor population. And uh, I, I, I look, I look at the people that are, that have 
that their dignity has been taken away. And I think to myself, I can't give up on keeping a human being's dignity in place, whether that's India, whether it's Northern Ireland, whether it's Palestine and Israel, no matter where, um, we don't, we won't have peace unless there's social justice, unless there's some kind of justice for that person, no matter who it is. And so, um, so I won't stop. But the thing is, is that I have to brace myself every day for the uh, animosity or hostility that comes my way because of the work. Yeah, I have to, I have to brace myself for uh, being shut down as a woman's voice. Um, I never thought that in my, my granddaughter's lifetime, that her reproductive rights would be taken away from her. She's 26 years old. Never thought that would happen because of what I fought for. So it's like, if you, if you rest on your laurels, if you think, okay, good, we've accomplished this. I can, I can take a break now. I can rest. We've been shown over and over again that we can't do that. Do you have any um, practices that you do daily? How do you get ready for that? Or do you just kind of take a deep breath? Do you meditate? Do you read? Like, how do you kind of prepare for that onslaught that sometimes comes your way? That's a really good question. Um, the first thing I had to do was gain a lot of skills, a lot of skills to deal with conflict, um, skills to deal with the, uh, in other words, gaining an understanding of what tool do I need to be able to take this particular person on. So if I don't have those tools, I'm going to get overwhelmed pretty easily. And so I took work, many, many workshops on how, how to gain some of those tools. And then I took a workshop um, on how to find inner peace. And uh, one, of, one of the workshops that really impacted me was um, a workshop called Remembering Who You Really Are, that you're this being of light and that really no one can put that light out. And so just nurture that light. And so what do I do to nurture that light is that I have to rem I have to remember who I really am because sometimes you know people around me want me to forget who I really am that right. being light They're and want to shut you up at all costs right you know right. right and so and it may be because that person um is not yet ready to hear a message of love yeah and so I remember um, when John Lewis was being beat and the person who was beating him, this was on the um, Pettus Bridge um, in the, during the civil rights movement. And he looked up at this, this man beating him, this sheriff beating him. And he said, what must have happened to this person to make him be okay with beating me? And so that's, 
that's how I've always looked at things. If someone is being mean, I've thought, I think to myself, what has happened to them mm -hmm. to make them so mean? Yeah, because finding the compassion within you. Well, and that's it. It's like somebody kept trying to put their light out mm -hmm. and they temporarily succeeded. So Barbara, do you have any, where do we go from here? I mean, and by the way, when we talk about um, what's happening in this community, because I know that um, there are listeners, you know, all over, luck, lucky, lucky for me. <laughs> um, and what's happening here is that, you know, people want to ban books from schools. People want to um, have, you know, no teachers, no kids should be really able to speak to the fact that they might be gay or non-binary or transgender. There are all sorts of um, structures and restrictions being put into place to eliminate diversity and um, any kind of inclusion, as you as you mentioned. And, you know, I'm just gonna say something I've said a lot. I have, um, you know, kids that have gone through and are going through the school district my youngest really it does she does not care what anybody their gender their proclivity she really is afraid that somebody's going to walk into the school and shoot her that is her fear <laughs> you know um all of that other stuff i wish my daughter were running into the library and taking out some of the books that are banned i wish she was banging down the library's doors she's not she's on tiktoks like the rest of the kids her age so that's what's happening among many other things within our community. Um, and what I'm just wondering, you know, you are retired, but don't seem to be retired in any sense of the word. You're just retired from the peace center. And even that seems to be not true because you're working with them. <laughs> so where are you going from here and where do collectively you think we go from here? You know, I almost feel like the whole transgender book banning DEI, the diversity, equity, and inclusion is a distraction from the real stuff that has to be done. Yeah. Um, you know, your daughter's comment, you, you shared that comment with me when we met in the coffee shop mm -hmm. and it really stuck with me. And I've, I've used that your daughter's comment yeah. uh, several times because, you know, our kids are not stupid. Right. Our kids are, um, are these bright lights as well, but adults are feeding them these myths, these stories, their own fear, they're passing on their own fear. But the true fear is, is that we have, uh, we have more guns in our society than we have humans uh, in this country. We have six-year-olds picking up a gun and shooting their teacher or shooting a sibling. Um, so our, it's like, we're, we're not focused on these bigger issues um, because if we did focus on them, uh, we would be able to eliminate them and fundamentalists don't want you taking away their second amendment, right? They don't want you um, putting any restrictions on owning a gun whatsoever uh 
that has created more deaths now than anything else. It used to be car accidents were the number one cause of death. It's now gun violence. And it's not just mass shooting. It's the segregation in our communities that creates poverty and violence. So what, what the white community is experiencing with, with mass shootings, the black community is experienced with personal violence. And so guns really are a scourge on this, this uh, country. But, you know, let's keep them focused on transgender as if right. that, as if that's going to kill someone, if that's going to right. threat. So your daughter, you know, really expressed the most elemental concept is like, really, I'm going to worry about the person in the stall next to me going to the bathroom. Is that going to heart, harm me, kill me? No, it's the person that finds a way to get into the school with with a gun. So they're doing a good job of keeping us distracted. Yes. And I think part of the reason it's so successful is that the alternative is very complicated and big and large and overwhelming. And sometimes I think that complexity is, is one of the ways that they're so successful because it's very easy, like to talk about a per, you know, a man wearing a dress. That's basically what they're seeing and saying and talking about. And, um, and somehow that's very simple, I guess. And ever, these other things will take the greatest minds and thinking and solutions. And maybe that's one of that complexity is one of the reasons. However, we must do it. We just must, we must save, um, the people, not just our children, we, we should save every single person who's on the other end of a gun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's so many elements that could be a whole show in and of itself. Um, you know, yeah. because, but I could go on and on, but I won't, Barbara. <laughs> well, but, but you're, um, you're putting, you're putting words to, you know, we can stay distracted over here. Um, but if we can't look at the real issue, then, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to solve it. Right. And it right. doesn't be solved. Kids are dying at, and, you know, just this year alone between January and we're only in mid April, there's been 146 mass shootings, um, just in the, that short period of time. And so, um, transgender drag LGBTQ, um, all the isms is not creating deaths. Right. That's right. So if I'm listening and I'm one of those people who is, is, you know, being silent, maybe even somebody who believes, you know, everything that they're hearing, but they feel either overwhelmed or helpless or, you know, a little bit afraid of how, do you have any suggestions for what that person could do? Absolutely. So it's scary to take that first step. And I would say um, the, the, the first thing is being aware of who's running for office and making sure that you research them um, and, and getting out to vote. Um, that's the, that's a, something everybody can do. 
fear doesn't have to, to be in that place. Um, the second thing I would say is, you know, go to a school board meeting and sit through it, sit through a couple of them just to see what's actually happening. You may not, you might not have kids in that district, but our education starts there with, with our little ones. And if you are not hearing anything that makes sense, in other words, if the, if the school district is going back and forth about transgender bathrooms, sports, you know, think about how you might be able to get up in front of the microphone and say, but what are we doing? What kind of harm do we do when we don't take on the issue of, of school violence? Um, I, if I look at it as a parent without knowing anything, not being involved with anything, I want my schools to be physically safe, emotionally safe, socially safe, and morally safe. And so just showing up at a board meeting and thinking about that kind of safety um, can be helpful. Um, if you can support either with finances or going to a meeting, there are, there are groups out there that are dealing with many of the issues, whether it be gun violence, immigrants' rights, um, uh, LGBTQ issues, um, NAACP, the Peace Center, NOVA. There's so many wonderful organizations out there that either go to a fundraiser or um, find out if you might want to volunteer one day a week. Uh, you know, there, there's just a lot of ways to get involved, but you might have to take those baby steps. Yes. Yes. And that's okay. You know, do it at your pace, but just recognize that doing nothing becomes just as much part of the problem. Yeah. Agreed. And I have to say, thank you. Not only thank you for coming on the podcast because I'm selfishly so grateful for that, but thank you for being a light in the community, shining because that gives other people the courage. You know, I might not tomorrow be Barbara Simmons, but you know, I can, I can walk in that, that path. I can walk behind you a little bit and, and do my own thing and kind of take courage from your light, you know? And it's kind of like when I was little, they used to like, um, we, you would go to a thing where they would light a candle and then the other person would hold up their candle and you would light their candle. And that's kind of what you're doing. And I'm thankful for you. Thanks so much. And I think that, you know, the fact that you took on doing a podcast and shining a light on these issues is that candle. And that's the, that is the activism that works best for you. And so it's finding something that resonates with you that you can feel like you are making a difference and sometimes it feels like you know you light that candle and it gets blown out over and over and over again but keep lighting it yeah yeah the world needs everyone's light thanks for listening if you like this podcast consider giving it a great rating and following all the things you do when you like a podcast 
Thank you to William Aronson for writing, producing, recording the Soulful Connections theme song. And once again, thank you for listening. I hope you keep tuning in.